There's not much that the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, has not affected uh, during these days. One of the things that it has affected is buildings. Buildings. Uh, I have done a little bit of uh, work projects around my house during this time, and I've noticed whenever I go to one of the big box home centers that the parking lots are just packed with people because evidently people have time uh, to do the same thing that I am doing. Some people are taking advantage of this time to work on their homes, to do those projects that maybe they've been intending to but just never got around to. But not only are homes being impacted, physical buildings, but big office buildings have been impacted. Many of them are virtually empty during these days. And those who own these buildings perhaps are losing some rent or income from that. But many buildings that would have been normally filled with office workers and other kinds of workers are, are just virtually empty. And I was just reading just uh, earlier today that the Ohio State University had a whole slate of building projects for athletic facilities that they were planning to do, and some of that has been put on hold. Almost $100 million worth of building projects that they've had to, to slow down or back off on because of the pandemic. Buildings have been affected. But there's one thing that, one type of building that really maybe is affected, but doesn't have to be slowed down during this time. In fact, it, it can go on as planned. And that's the building that the scriptures address of our lives. You see, the Lord is concerned about more than just physical buildings. You know, our, our own physical building, our, our church building has been relatively empty now for these several months. But the most important building is the building that's taking place in our lives. The Lord Jesus speaks to this kind of building at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, beginning verse 24, he said this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What kind of building program is Jesus talking about there? What kind of building program is he concerned about? Well, as I've indicated, he's concerned about the building program of your life. We are all building a life every day with our decisions with our actions the question is are we building something substantial something that will last something that will not only stand the test of time but also the test of eternity that's really what psalm 127 is about turn in your bibles to the psalms 
We've been looking at these, what are called the Psalms of Ascent. And we come this morning to Psalm 127, which really is about building. But again, the focus is not on physical buildings. It's really intended to teach us something about how we're building our lives. Follow along as I read Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This morning, as we consider these five verses, I want us to see four things. I want to consider four things. First of all, the principle that we find in verse 1. Secondly, the prohibition in verse 2. Third, the perfect example of what uh, the psalmist is referring to in verses 3 through 5. And then finally, some practical application for our own lives. First of all, notice the principle. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And he adds, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God is not against work. God is for work. He is pro-work. God is the one who gave man work to do. He created Adam and then immediately gave him a job. In fact, the Bible teaches that if a man will not work, he should not eat. The problem is not working. The problem is not watching. The problem is doing so without the Lord having the central place in our working and in our watching. In other words, in our lives, the Lord is to have the central place. We are to look to Him. We are to acknowledge Him. We are to recognize that as Jesus said in John 15, apart from Him, we can do nothing. That is nothing substantial, nothing of any lasting value. We need to be careful that we don't work, that we don't live as if, well, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Now, there are certain situations where that may be true, but generally we need to give an account for the fact that the Lord should be central in all of our plans, in all of our actions. As I mentioned just a moment ago, Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The vine is where the, the sustenance comes from. The vine is the most important. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's just another way of saying what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 127. One, apart from the work of the Lord, we can build, but it will come to nothing. We can watch, but we watch in vain unless we are abiding in Christ, unless we are 
looking to the Lord and trusting in the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul wrote about building. He's writing about building. Now, he's referring to primarily the building of the church, but it also applies to the building of our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to turn there, follow along as I begin reading verse 10 and read through verse 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now, as I said, Paul was talking about foundation. He was talking about the church, and he laid the foundation of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will rest, excuse me, will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. As I said, while the primary emphasis here is on building the church, building on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's application for our lives. What are we building with? Are we building with the things that are going to last? Are we doing so acknowledging that unless the Lord is the true builder, unless we build on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his words, all of it is in vain. Herman Cain, who once sought the Republican nomination for president, passed away this last week from COVID-19 at the age of 74. I recently read that when he took over as chairman of Godfather's Pizza, the company was in the midst of a severe financial crisis. He, he became the chairman and, and served and turned that company around. Within one year, he brought the company into profitability. When he was asked how he did it, he said this, The secret to my success is my faith in Christ and God Almighty. And there are no secrets. I had to give God the glory in everything I do and in every success I've achieved. Herman Cain looked to the Lord for the building of a pizza franchise. We need to look to the Lord in our business, in our families, in our lives, in all that we do. We are to live our lives with the Lord at the center so that he gets the glory in everything we do. Otherwise, we may find ourselves building, yes, building, but building in vain. The second thing we see is the prohibition. Verse 2, it is vain that you rise up early and go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Is God forbidding hard work? Is God putting you early risers down? What about you late-nighters? Is there something wrong with you, with your lifestyle? I mean, after all, how many of us have not at some time or another known what it was to, or what it is to rise up early and stay up late in order to accomplish something that just needed to get done? 
maybe studying for a test, finishing a paper. I've done that a few times. Maybe some other project, completing a work assignment, or any number of other things. Is God saying that there's something wrong with that? No, the key phrase here, what is forbidden, is anxious toil. It is vain that you rise up early, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his blood, his beloved, even in their sleep, or gives to his beloved sleep. It is not work, but anxious toil that is vain. And I think the sense here is a lifestyle of anxiety over the fact that what we're doing, maybe we're not doing enough. That, again, if it's meant to be, it, it depends on me. That it depends on my ability to bring this to pass, to bring fruit from this. Again, the Lord Jesus has something to say about this in Matthew chapter 6, which is, again, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This is beginning of verse 25. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, o you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, that is, unbelievers and your heavenly father knows that you need them all but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you it's not work that God forbids it's not laboring he he condones that it's anxious toil it's working so feverishly, in such a way that we believe that it depends on us. Again, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 writes these familiar words. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And remember, keep in mind, that the Apostle Paul wrote those words when he was in prison. And later in that same chapter, he speaks about the fact, or he writes about the fact, that he had learned contentment. He had learned whether he abounded or whether he was in need, that the Lord would provide for him. That's the context for verse 13 of Philippians 4, where he says, I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. 
rather than being controlled by anxious toil. The psalmist says that the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Now, some people have chronic sleep problems because of a physical issue, a health issue. But who hasn't experienced sleeplessness from time to time because of some anxiety? But again, what the psalmist is referring to is a chronic problem of worrying about this and worrying about that. Is this going to come to pass? Am I going to lose everything? Am I going to be able to make it? Compared to trusting the Lord, doing what we can, what we have been called to do, what we've been tasked to do. There's a difference, a big difference between being faithful and being fretful. We are called to be faithful, but not fretful. We must trust that ultimately the results are in God's hands, not ours. And then that leads us to the third point, and that is the perfect example of of what we're talking about here, what the psalmist is referring to. Now, when you start reading verse 3, it sounds like he's shifting gears, like he's changing subjects. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb and reward. He's just been writing about buildings, about watching, about work. What, what do children have to do with that? What he's doing is he's giving a very personal example of both the principle and the prohibition. Could there be a better illustration of what is being emphasized here than the bearing and rearing of children? Here's the reality. Husband and wife can do whatever they want, but apart from God, there ain't going to be no children. God is the source of children. Now, when we read these verses, verses 3 through 5, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb and reward. We often emphasize the, the importance, the value of children, and that is certainly right. That's appropriate. However, The thing that this psalmist is emphasizing here, especially, is the source of children. Who is the one who gives children? Children are a heritage from the Lord. Obviously, the mother and father are important, and in all but one case throughout history, essential, right? But they are not determinative. Just as builders labor in vain apart from the Lord, and watchmen watch over the city in vain unless the Lord gets protection, so a man and a woman can do what they want, but they will never become mom and dad apart from the Lord's work. He is sovereign over this matter. Likewise, as parents raise their children, they have responsibilities But all their work will be in vain unless the Lord is central and does what only He can do. Only the Lord can convict of sin, bring someone to faith in Christ, and enable them to live a life pleasing to Him. Now, in building a family, just like in building something physical or material, there are things that need to be done, right? But we do them in dependence on the Lord. By God's grace and for His glory, we're preparing 
arrows. We are shaping arrows. See, in the psalmist's day, there was no store that the warrior could go to to pick up his arrows. He fashioned those himself. He made those himself. And he shaped those, he fashioned those so that they would be effective in battle. As parents, we are shaping our children. We've been given them by the Lord. We shape them by His grace and for His glory and with His help so that someday we can launch them out into the world. Hopefully, by God's grace, they will hit their target. Well, how do we do that? What what are some things that we can do and should do to make it more likely that these arrows are going to hit the target, that they are going to be effective in the hand of the Lord. Well, first of all, we need to center our homes around the Word of God. We need to make sure that our home, that the Word of God finds central place in our homes. We need to read it together as a family. We need to study it. We need to, as parents, explain it to our children. And then perhaps most of all, we need to live it. There needs to be a consistency between what our children read in the Word and what we teach them about the Word and what they're hearing elsewhere and what they see in the home. Now, no parent is a perfect model of Christ-likeness, but we need to seek that. We need to look to the Lord for that. And when we fail to measure up, we need to confess that and ask forgiveness. But The last thing that our children need is for us to say one thing and live in a way that it doesn't bear fruit in our lives. Not only that, we should enlist the help of the church in teaching, modeling, and encouraging our children in the Lord. Now, the church is not the primary evangelizers or disciplers of our children parents should be now where there are not christian parents sometimes the church needs to fill that role but the church comes alongside parents to help in this that's why we have sunday school teachers and other discipling uh, ministries in the church But don't count on the church to be the primary evangelizers or disciplers of your children. Then make sure that you demonstrate by your priorities and practices that spiritual things take precedent over physical, material, and temporal things. When push comes to shove... And your family has to make a choice between Sunday worship and some other activity. I'm not talking about the occasional vacation. I'm talking about the regular missing because of sports activities or entertainment or even other things. What takes priority? What takes precedence? What are you demonstrating to your children? 
the fourth thing that we can do and should do is pray. It probably should be the first thing. It's, it's not first in the list. It's first in what we ought to do, though. Pray. And then pray some more. And then pray even more. That God will use the means that he has provided to first and foremost bring our children to faith in Christ. And then help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we just, we trust. We trust the Lord by his grace to do what only he can do. See this, the family is just a, an example. I say a perfect example of how we are tasked with building. But ultimately, unless the Lord is the one who's doing it, it's all in vain. We're tasked with watching. But unless, unless the Lord is watching, protecting the city, the city of our homes, we watch in vain. In our families, as well as in every sphere of life, we need to consciously, daily, look to the Lord through His Word and rely on His Spirit to build something that will last, something that will bring honor and glory to Him. Now let me just finally add a few words of practical application, which I've already, some of it I've already touched on. The fact is this, you're building, I'm building, we are building something, we're building our lives. In the decisions we make, the actions we take, every day we're building a life. The question is, are we building something that will stand the test of time and the stand the test of eternity? Or are we perhaps building on sand? a faulty foundation. It starts, as I said, with the foundation. We read Matthew 7, 24 through 27, which reminds us that Jesus is the foundation of our lives. He is the only solid foundation. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, what will a prophet a man if he gains the whole world and loses what? His soul. His soul. What will it profit you if you have a very successful life outwardly? If you have everything the world has to offer, but you lose your soul. You don't have Christ for eternity. So let me just say, that's where you need to start in building a life. You need to come to the place in your life where you recognize that the Bible says you're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God is faithful. Who will, excuse me, forgive you of your sins? He has provided for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you'll repent of your sin, Turn from your sin. Turn from self-rule. Turn from anything and everything else in terms of being number one in your life and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His finished work on the cross where He died in the place of sinners, was raised again for our salvation so that we might have new life. If you will put your trust in Christ, He will save you. But that's not the end. That is not the end of building a life. That's the beginning. Because we are called 
to live for the Lord, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, after spending 11 chapters basically showing what God has done for us in Christ and how we come to God through faith in Christ, he writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, or in view of God's mercies, based on God's mercies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And how often do we have to do this? We have to do it every day, again and again and again. We need to say no to the world, no to being conformed to the world, and yes to the Lord, to being transformed by the renewal of our minds. And how does that happen? Well, it brings us back to God's Word. In reality, building a life centered on God comes back to His Word and our habits with it. Jesus connected building on a solid foundation to our response to His words. God's Word must always be at the center of our lives. It provides, under the power of the Holy Spirit, everything that we need. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, for many of you, these are words that you've memorized. The Apostle Paul writes this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. That is instructing us. What should we believe? How should we behave? What do we need to know in order to know the Lord, to please Him? For reproof, that is, for telling us we're wrong. For correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God, the woman of God, the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Only God's word is breathed out by him and thus profitable to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness so that we can be equipped for every good work. And it's not just intended for us to know, it's intended for us to live. As James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's been a little over two years now since Dr. Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord. I often think about him because he died the same week that my mother died. I can't think of anyone in my lifetime who had a greater influence for Christ than Billy Graham. I can't think of anyone who was more God-centered, who built something that's continuing to endure during his lifetime. What was the key? What made Billy Graham Billy Graham? It really, I don't think it was his charisma. I don't think it was his ability even as a speaker. I think it was his commitment, his God-centeredness, his commitment to know and to live by the Word of God. One of 
Billy Graham's biographers wrote this about Billy Graham's Bible habit. Beyond all else, Billy Graham studies the Bible. This was written during his lifetime. The supreme authority for his belief and action. Every day he reads five psalms, covering the Psalter in a month, and one chapter of Proverbs, the book that shows us how to relate our own lives to our fellow men, he adds. He reads through the gospel each week using commentaries and modern translations and constantly returns to the Acts of the Apostles. He annotates throughout the Bible. Sometimes, Billy Graham writes, his word makes such an impact on me that I have to put the Bible down and walk around for a few moments to catch my breath. Billy Graham was radically God-centered because he was radically Bible-centered. And that's what is involved in building a life that will make a difference, a life that will last. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. How are you building? Are you building with God at the center? Are you building on his breathed out word? The Bible? I hope so. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in your word. Lord, I pray that you would take your truth and continue to work it in and through our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and patient, and unrelenting in growing your people, in building Christians, individual lives, and in building your church. And Lord, we know that we may be very active, we can become very busy, but unless you build the house, we labor in vain. Lord, unless you protect our city, our lives, our families, our church, Lord, we watch in vain. We look to you. We trust in you. We ask you to do what only you can do, helping us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.